Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Um, unrest in the classrooms happens in most parts of Canada, not everywhere, but it happens in most parts of this country. And at the moment, it's going on in Ontario with the Elementary Teachers Union announcing new targets for strike action starting next Thursday. Teacher strikes and teachers unions working to rule with classrooms closed create disturbance in most Canadian provinces. As I said, but two provinces have declared teaching an essential service, Manitoba and PEI. Should teaching be designated an essential service by all provincial governments? Michael Zwagstra is a Manitoba high school teacher. He's the author of uh, two books, What's Wrong With Our Schools and Sage on the Stage. He's an op-ed writer. He's got one in the Epoch Times now. The Ford government and Ontario teachers unions are both wrong. And Michael actually informed me that Manitoba has uh, no strikes. The teaching is a declared essential service, and he joins us on the show. Michael, uh, thanks for the time, and uh, how did it happen The teaching became designated an essential service in Manitoba? Well, the, it goes back to the 1950s, and the uh, Manitoba Teacher Society, which is the union representing teachers in Manitoba, and that's all teachers, uh, K-12, to uh, negotiated with the then-provincial government, and in exchange for uh, binding arbitration, where the uh, if there is a dispute in, in regards to the collective bargaining process, then both sides, uh, the school board and the, uh, the local teachers association, would take it to a, an arbitration panel of, uh, of three individuals and uh, who are independent, and then they decide, and then both sides agree to abide by it. And so that was something that both the government and the teachers union back in the 1950s had uh, voluntarily agreed to, and so as a result, there have been no strikes or lockouts in Manitoba public schools since the 1950s. So about 70 years, and is this working? Is it a, a reasonably agreeable formula? Has there been calls to set it aside so that teachers' unions can walk out and, 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 and the provincial government can uh, you know, hold them to account or, or refuse to bargain? I think most people uh, recognize that it's been very beneficial to not have uh, to not have teacher strikes in this province, or even the possibility of such strikes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good for students uh, who have stability, knowing that their classes are going to happen every day. It's good for parents uh, who know that their kids are able to go to school every day, and frankly, it's good for teachers that uh, we don't have to deal with the instability of the possibility of of walking a picket line. Because I certainly have no desire to ever do that. And uh, so I, I, I think on the whole it's been beneficial, yes. There have been, uh, there have been questions that have been raised and there's been issues and challenges. And right now there's some tension between the union and the provincial government. Uh, but th- there's nothing new about that. There's often tensions between major unions and provincial governments. Um, but on the whole, uh, I think the system we have in Manitoba as far as resolving labor disputes is a much better route uh, than having strikes where everything gets thrown up in the air. Yeah. And, you know, we don't just live in a society where kids go to school to learn anymore. Uh, when I went to school, 90% plus, I would think, 
um, went to school to do just exactly that in the 1960s. But school has become a child-minding service in, in a way for two well, yeah. and one-income families. That's part of the equation now. It is. And, and you, you, you've got to factor in that uh, you've, got young, you've got young children who all of a sudden parents have to find child care. Uh, you've also got many schools have daycares within them. And uh, the, when you have strikes, and you, it can impact that. So mm-hmm. all, there are all kinds of public services that are provided within schools, that uh, community resource sessions that take place in schools. And you really do not want to have schools shut down. Uh, I, I do not, uh, I don't see, I certainly see no benefit to, uh, to students uh, when, you have, uh, when you have strikes. It doesn't, it doesn't benefit anyone in the long run. Uh, so, yes, I much prefer a system where there is an independent arbitration panel that makes the final decision, and then both sides just agree to abide by that. Instead, in the province of Ontario, and it happens around the country other than Manitoba and Prince Edward Island, we have in the province of Ontario teacher strikes taking place, work to rule taking place, questions about uh, exams or, or report cards. And now we know that the Elementary Teachers Federation has announced its targets for strikes this coming Thursday in Ontario. Your op-ed in the Epoch Times is uh, headlined, The Ford Government and Ontario Teachers Unions are both wrong. Tell us. Yeah, well, there are, there are two big main issues in the Ontario teacher dispute. And uh, obviously salary is always an issue, but it's not the biggest issue. I mean, we're talking about a difference between a 1% salary increase that the government is proposing and a 2% cost of living increase the teachers' union wants. On a percentage basis, obviously that's not terribly far apart. That's not really the main issue. The two main issues are the Ford government's insistence on mandatory e-learning for all high school students, that all high school students would have to take two e-learning courses to graduate, and class size increases, that the uh, uh, the Ford government wants to uh, have uh, a couple extra students uh, add that to the average class size uh, at the high school level. And basically, my op-ed argue that the Ford government is dead wrong on the e-learning issue. It's... Uh, uh, it's absolutely ridiculous to insist that all high school students have to take online learning, um, but that the teachers' unions are being uh, too inflexible on the class size issue, that the, that the government is right to say that, look, we have to, have, we have to look at, uh, at the possibility of class size increases if we're going to get overall spending under control. And so uh, both sides are wrong. The, uh, but the, the both sides are wrong on one of the key issues. It would be much simpler... Uh, it'd be a lot easier to be black and white to just say I'm totally with one side or with the other. But on the two major issues, uh, the uh, both sides are right on one and wrong on the other. How much of it just has to do with money? Well, money is always at the uh, at the heart of these things. And uh, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The push for e-learning is about money. Uh, it's about uh, uh, in, in documents that have been uh, released by the uh, Toronto Star are quite revealing, showing that the government had cons- it floated the idea of allowing high school students to do all their courses online, which is just getting into crazy territory uh, to even float that as a, as a possibility. But, yes, it's certainly the, that push is all about money because if you can just put everyone online, uh, you don't need to have teachers and buildings. And But I would suggest you're not going to have much of an education either if you start removing the face-to-face component. So uh, the e-learning push, there is no evidence that, it, that it's beneficial to students to force everyone to take online courses it is all about money, and it's a horrendous way uh, to try to save money in the public education system. And how much is it about unions wanting more money, more money, more money, more money, 
at well, a time when at a time when yeah. teachers are already doing better than the than uh, the average person, and the the sick days cost a tremendous amount of money. You know what the contracts are about. Well, there's I, a there's a healthy degree of cynicism in the population that says teachers unions are all about power, all about money, and all about making a political statement. Well, and this is this is the problem here is that the the on the class size issue in particular, uh, teachers unions, of course, they're going to oppose class size increases because. If you have larger classes, you have fewer teachers, and then you have uh, you don't have the same level of union dues uh, being paid in, and so the unions aren't going to voluntarily shrink themselves. I mean, why would they? And so you've got this uh, inherent conflict of interest in a sense, where of course the teachers' unions are going to reflexively oppose any discussion about uh, about class size increases. And the research is clear on this that smaller classes are extremely expensive. And but only moderately beneficial. It is if you want to improve teaching and learning, reducing class sizes is one of the most efficient, inefficient ways to go about it. Extremely expensive. So um, this is why, I, in my op-ed, I'm pretty clear. I'm clear about the fact that I think the uh, that the teachers unions are are wrong in their uh, in their insistence that the class size uh, cannot go up under any circumstance. Well, Michael, for 70 years in uh, Manitoba, it's worked at being the teaching being declared an essential service and an arbitration process is in place. For 70 years, it's worked. That should really be the template for the rest of the country because ultimately, the responsibility is to provide students with an education that's going to be useful to them later in life. What they're experiencing with strikes sends so many wrong messages to, to kids in so many ways. Well, throughout, throughout the school year, schools should be open every single day. Uh, we should not be losing class time to, uh, uh, to strikes uh, or lockouts, for that matter. They're, they're, they're not beneficial for, for anyone in the long run. Uh, we have a responsibility to provide students with an education, and that's why schools need to be open and teachers need to be there providing that education. And that's one of the reasons we pay excessive taxes in this country. Well, it, it's, uh, public education is very expensive. Yep. and. I, we're not, it's not, it's, we're, it's going to be expensive to have a good quality system, but then we expect it to be open and operating and functioning properly. Uh, people are, are going to be very, a lot less supportive of those expenses uh, if, it's, uh, if it's not open and functioning properly. I always appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roy. Michael Zwagstra, What's Wrong With Our Schools and How Can We Fix Them or How We Can Fix Them is his first book. The second one is Sage on the Stage. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.